Hey film fans and welcome to another Real Reviews Part 2 The podcast for film fans who want a little bit more than just the usual reviews of the latest cinema offering Here we go deeper This week we are talking spiritual sequels So films that are not direct sequels But you could easily imagine a character from one film Assimilating into the world of another movie Kind of thing. And of course we have Nile O'Brien and Russell here as well. Yo. Hello. Did Very I explain well, that okay? You. Because yeah. Yeah, this was the good. one, I'm going to admit, this is the one that bamboozled me a little <laughs> bit. I was like, sequels? Okay. But we're not talking about like Terminator 2 or any of that. No. We're talking about spiritual sequels. Um, so I had to dig around <laughs> for a bit to kind of figure out what we were going on about here in this one. But um, Ross, you very much know what this is about. Yeah, a little bit. I think so. Spiritual sequels are sometimes called spiritual successors. And it's basically movies that can be seen as a good sequel. Uh, prequel, of course, if, it, if it's set before it. Or an accompaniment um, uh, to another completely unrelated movie or seemingly unrelated movie. And it's basically films that work really, really well together, almost as if they were intended operate in the same universe and as you said they could have the same uh, they could have the same characters even the same actors playing similar roles they could have similar teams uh, styles uh, characters all sorts of things like that it can be quite loose as well how you might group them together Uh, but the important thing is they complement each other very very well like for example you could have something like um if you want to group these together, King's Speech, The Darkest Hour, Dunkirk. And right there, you, you trace the British involvement in the beginning of the Second World War. And those three movies are quite similar stylistically and thematically. So that's a pretty good grouping of movies right yeah, there. Yeah. Um, another one it could work for is um, Clint Eastwood. Uh, if you look at 1992's Unforgiven. It's like a great spiritual sequel for fans of the Man With No Name series. Yeah, the spaghetti westerns mm. of the 70s, yeah. Yeah, from Sergio Leone and uh, and you just, you see a more grizzled kind of Clint Eastwood. You know, you could mm. easily see him carrying on from The Good, The Bad, The Ugly or something like that at yeah. an older age. Um, so basically, it's, it's movies that are in a similar spirit to one another. And I suppose what really got me thinking about spiritual sequels was a movie I saw recently enough. Now, it was out in 2017, and that movie is The Post, which is starring Meryl Streep and Tom Hanks, and it's directed by Steven Spielberg. And uh, in some ways, I think it's it's the perfect accompanying film and really a spiritual prequel to 1976's All the President's Men, which was starring Robert Redford and Dustin Hoffman. Brilliant, yeah, brilliant movie. I haven't seen it in ages. No, in ages. I have yeah. seen it, but not most recently. Like yeah. I really have to d- dig that one out again, yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's, well, it's definitely well worth a watch. <clears throat> and uh, uh, the reason why they, them two work so well together is they're basically telling one long story. Or you could they stand alone, of course, but you could see them as telling one long story. And both films are related to work done by the Washington Post newspaper in the 1970s, uncovering scandals and controversies in the Nixon presidency. Um, in The Post, which is set in 71, the story follows uh, journalists and editors' attempts to publish the Pentagon Papers. Uh, they were classified documents about the United States government involvement in Vietnam. And it shows that over years, basically, uh, the government had lied to the US Congress and to their own people, basically. And um, it's a it's a it's a great movie. It's a real good journalism journalism movie. We have a mm. few of those, um, but I'm I'm just going to play a little clip now, which might.
might give you a little sense of the movie. And um, this clip features Tom Hanks, and he's playing the executive editor of the Washington Post at the time. That was Ben Bradley. And Meryl Streep, who is playing Catherine Graham, who is the owner of the Washington Post at the time. And this is actually, incredibly, the first movie these two uh, absolutely brilliant uh, actors have been in together. So for me... It was a bit of a heat moment, you know, it was like getting Al Pacino and Robert De Niro in the same scene. And um, yeah, here's a little taste of the Washington Post. So can I ask you a hypothetical question? Oh, dear, I don't like hypothetical questions. Well, I don't think you're going to like the real one either. Do you have the papers? Not yet. Oh, gosh. Oh, gosh. Because, you know, the, the uh, position that would put me in... No, we have language in the prospectus. Yeah, I know, I know that the bankers can change their mind. That's, and I know what is at stake. You know, the only couple I knew that both Kennedy and LBJ wanted to socialize with was you and your husband, and you own the damn paper. That's just the way things worked. Politicians and the press, they trusted each other so they could go to the same dinner party and drink cocktails and tell jokes while there was a war raging in Vietnam. I don't know what we're talking about. I, I'm not protecting Lyndon. Oh, no, you got his former Secretary of Defense, Robert McNamara, the man who commissioned this study. He's I'm one of about a dozen party him. guests out on your own I'm protecting the paper. So basically, the movie ends, and this is kind of where it ties in with all the President's men. Um, the movie ends uh, in a legal battle where the Washington Post and the New York Times, who were probably the first ones to to publish um, uh, snippets of the, the Pentagon Papers. They um, they are taking the court over their right to publish the Pentagon Papers, which they eventually win. And near the end of the movie, we hear President Nixon saying on a phone call that he is banning Washington Post reporters from the White House. Interestingly enough, for anyone who has seen the movie, the, that is really President Nixon's voice used in the movie. And it was coming from the, the White House tapes that came out during the, the Watergate scandal. Yeah. Um, but there's a great line near the end of the movie from Meryl Streep's character where she says, I'm glad I never have to go, never have to go through this again, <laughs> which of course, um, which of course, yeah, means it will definitely happen. And that is shortly followed by a scene uh, where we see a security guard stumbling upon Nixon's hired men breaking into the office of the Democratic National Committee at the Watergate complex. It's the next scene in the movie. In actuality, it was probably be about a year later. Um, and that is sort of where we cross over with all the president's men because the final shot in the post is the exact same shot almost from the beginning of the pre- all the president's men and uh, Spielberg duplicates a couple of shots from Alan J Pakula's 1976 movie most noticeably uh, that famous shot from outside the Watergate complex of the people inside with their light uh, with their flashlights, flashlights yeah. shining all over the place um, and you know from here you can probably take on the story with Robert Redford and Dustin Hoffman they're playing two Washington Post reporters investigating the Watergate scandal um, Ben Bradley who we mentioned already that's Tom Hanks character in in the in, in the post. post yeah and as we said he was the executive editor of the Washington Post at this crazy time uh, and he's played by Jason Robards in All the President's Men. So you have the same character, just two different actors. Actually, interesting enough, Jason Robards plays Tom Hanks' boss in Philadelphia as well. So oh, okay, there you go. There. Yeah. Um, so that is a spiritual sequel. Well, prequel in this case, mm. but you get the idea. Um, and I, So, like, you know, when, say for, like, when obviously Steven Spielberg is, is making All the President's Men yeah. or whatever... 
Is he, I wonder, is he thinking someday we will have an explanation and a kind of a prequel to all this? Like, you know, Mm. what sort of, because there's a deliberate, let's say, continuation of one scene into the next, Mm. is that the key then to spiritual sequels? Or is it kind of, there's a mixture, isn't there, of different things? In this case, I think All the President's Men is based on the book by Woodward and Bernstein, the two journalists who were involved Mm. and are played by Hoffman and uh, Redford in the film. And I think what it is, is just such a, like there was so much going on in that era Mm. in, in US history that Spielberg, when he thought, and I think the interesting thing as well is the the uh, Meryl Streep character who owned the yeah. was is not really featured in All the President's Men very much. But she was actually asked about it when they're making All the President's Men and she declined to be in okay. it. And she said apparently one of her regrets afterwards um, was that she wasn't in the movie. Yeah. Apparently she thought it was a fine movie. I don't believe she actually... Um, was alive for when the, the post the came post out. came yeah. out, but mm. you can see how um how much of a force she was mm. when you watch the post in these these uh, scandals coming yeah. to light. Yeah, you know what I mean. Um, yeah. So I mean, uh, when you were talking as well about the Darkest Hour and Dunkirk, and yeah. you know, the, if you like the historical uh, films that are in a follow in a, a timeline. Yeah. 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 Mm. So I I would say. That's this is a part of that. You yes. know what I mean. The post yeah. is a little bit like that. With with this as well, you can you can push the the, the you can push the goalposts out a little bit. It's um it's what movie you think would naturally follow on from one another. There is other examples where you could you have to kind of use your imagination more, yeah. or it's just they kind of hint towards each other. Like for example, one one that I always that always seemed clear to me was uh, Carlito's Way and Scarface. Uh, so Carlito's Way came out in 1993 and I see that as a kind of a spiritual successor to Scarface which came out 10 years before that. Um, like they both star Al Pacino as a Latino crime lord. Um, obviously they're different characters um, but they share some ser- similarities. Um, well, in Carlito's Way he wants to be more leaving the life of crime. He, he does that. But it. you can imagine Scarface maybe. is fully in yeah, <laughs> he, yeah, yeah. yeah. he loves it. Man. But you can imagine like Ross is saying you can imagine that these characters mature or what mm. would happen if after yeah. You know what That's I mean? A friend of mine actually ends, suggested yeah. what if at the end of Scarface, um, Tony Montana didn't die in a blaze of yep. cocaine and glory. He instead went to prison. Now, obviously, uh, during his stint of prison, he would have had to change from Cuban to Puerto Rican and uh, had a bit, details, of a, persona- yeah, have a bit of a personality um, change. But look, you're right, though. It, it, it kind of just shows, I think it shows two men on either side of their criminal careers mm. and I just think they work really well together and you know yeah. we can't overlook the fact that Al Pacino is in it you know in both of them absolutely and th- that goes on to something I might be talking about a little bit later on which is what I call uh, actor illusion which is a little bit like what you're talking about mm. with uh, Clint Eastwood so for example in The Unforgiven it's not just Clint Eastwood at whatever age he is playing a cowboy. He brings the weight of all of these characters that he's played throughout his career into that part. You know what I mean? Yeah. And that's certainly the case with uh, with Pacino and Carlitos Way. You you can imagine him. You, you remember him as Tony Montoya. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? And uh, he brings all that with him. As he as he plays that part, you could probably argue that a bit in the Irishman as well. When you see Robert De Niro's character, you look back at all the gangster movies he'd been in mm. yeah. this time: Goodfellas, Casino, the likes of that. And you see, as 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 Niall's saying, you see you see him, uh, his the characters he has played in that role as well. 
Okay, so like lots of different elements going on with it. Like one of the things that I spotted when I went Googling frantically around about this <laughs> was, you know, this is kind of a tricky one. Um, and maybe I'm wrong on this one. I don't know. But um, say Cloverfield, the okay. found footage yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, movie about aliens. J.J. Abrams, yeah. Yep. Uh, and then 10 Cloverfield Lane. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Are these connected or is it just the name or is it a coincidence? You see, in 10 Cloverfield Lane, you don't know really what the disaster kind of is or what, you Mm. know, is it like years after Cloverfield and things are still happening outside and this guy's in his crazy bunker? Only one man can answer that and that's probably J.J. Abrams. Yeah, (laughs) well, well, this is it. So um, apparently... Uh, just looking at it here, in terms of, you know, obviously the name, they are saying that, you know, it was sort of marketed to, as a spiritual successor to attract people through the yeah, doors into yeah. the cinema. So that's another kind of strand to this as well. You know, it's a good marketing yeah. ploy. You're not outright saying it's a sequel, but you're going, oh, it could be kind of related. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so, it's a, it's a sequel. It's a, yeah, yeah, it's one of them. So that was uh, that was what I discovered with, with, with uh, Clover. Have you seen Lane. the Clover? Paradox? I haven't. Actually, I that's the one that they connect most apparently to okay. the, yeah, to yeah, the yeah. 10 Clover that, Lane. I think, yeah, collects a lot, but that's a terrible thing. I think that was another <laughs> case of um, when, when that was released, they were saying um, they just kind of slapped Cloverfield, Cloverfield. Yes. the stamp on there. Yeah, yeah, the yeah. 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 Uh, the other thing as well, you know, as you as you were mentioning earlier on, like in terms of actors, kind of uh, like Al Pacino and in mm-hmm. the same style of films and stuff like that. I mean, you have uh, the great pairing of um, Meg Ryan and Tom Hanks in yeah. Sleepless in Seattle, and you've got male. So you could kind of say that you've got male as a spiritual sequel if they. You know, maybe like we were discussing in the last podcast, maybe they had a bit of a, a quarrel, fell out with each other, yeah. went their separate ways, opened bookshops <laughs> and, and forgot, forgot about, <laughs> had amnesia, didn't realise yeah. each other. No, no, but you see, don't forget at the start, they don't know yeah. who they're communicating that's with. That's true, that's true. Yeah. Yeah, and yeah. then they go and then they hate each other, mm. you see. Yeah. Maybe there's an untold history there's there. A point, yeah, you've got a good point there, actually. I never yeah. thought of that because yeah. I really forgot that at the start they didn't know who they were Yeah, and about then you see online they like the other person online. Mm. So there's kind of this two different worlds. They bump into each other and then when she finds out that he's this big uh, book sh- uh, shop that's going to be taking away her business, they get loggerheads or whatever yeah. else. But yeah, there's a slight... And there is a thing that studios will go... There's two stars that worked well mm-hmm. in a romantic comedy together. Let's put them again. There's uh, Al Pacino who works well in a gangster <laughs> yeah. film. Let's put him Get him in there. Like Get Richard Gere and Julia Roberts. <clears throat> Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. She's so afraid of commitment because she used to be a prostitute. prostitute. Yeah. Love it. Yeah. Love That's it. Pretty woman away. and yeah. runaway yeah. bride. Yeah. Yes. And Patrick Swayze in oh my God. Well, Dirty the... Dancing and Roadhouse <laughs> and Ghost <laughs> yeah. where he was a dancer yes. and then a bouncer and then, then a ghost. It was good. He came back to life for Point Break. <laughs> oh, I never thought of Point Break. There you go. What is that fish? That's, it that's in fish. between yeah. Dirty Dancing and yeah, he went. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's what that was. <laughs> that's a that's a quadrology we have now. <laughs> Something. So for me, then the one that I again I had to really simplify it for myself. Now, what do I think would be a spiritual sequel from from for each other? So what I came up with again, it kind of goes to it, it's slightly spin offy, which is a little bit different, I know. Um, but again, it kind of has the the same casting in in both. But this, I think, is a very bold move because they take kind of supporting characters, and Jonah Hill 
in a way, you could kind of forget that he was in, you know, forgetting Sarah Marshall. Mm-hmm. Um, but you take those supporting characters and you plunk them into a film on their own. And you, particularly Aldous Snow's character, you know, like that's kind of a brave move there because can he support his own film, film. kind of thing? And you will know, people hate him? Because, well, yeah. Yeah, this is it. So what I kind of, from watching uh, Forgetting Sarah Marshall this week, a great film that I hadn't seen actually until this week, uh, but you have obviously the setup of Aldous Snow. So he is this really horrible rocker uh, guy, very, very famous. And he steals Sarah Marshall uh, away from Jason Siegel's character, Brian. Uh, and they go on holiday and whatever else. But in that movie, Jonah Hill pops up as the ultimate fanboy. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's working in the hotel where Aldous Snow is. And he is real big, big fan of Aldous Snow. Wants to marry him, I think. <laughs> this film. Uh, gives him his demo tape, all this kind of stuff. So my argument for this being a spiritual sequel is that Matthew, which is Jonah Hill in Forgetting Sarah Marshall, yeah. this is him in his you know, immature days. He fancies himself a rock star himself, you know, doesn't really have the talent, sort of latches on to Aldous Snow. Aldous Snow dismisses him very, very meanly altogether. And he says, well, I'm going to, you know, I'm not going to give him my dream. I'm going to go to LA, God damn it, and see how I get on. So my in my imagination, what, ha- what happens is he arrives at the record company where uh, he meets Sergio P. Diddy's character. Oh, that's right. Yeah. From getting to the Greek. He sits him down and goes, son, you ain't got the talent. You just don't got the talent to perform, but I could use a guy like you. Yeah. As an A and R man, is that yes. what he is? Yeah. So he arrives there in the in the record company and he grows up a little bit. Gets a you know, gets a bit more mature. Sounds and like you're doing more writing on this film than yeah, yeah, yeah. the people listen, who wrote it. Listen. Uh, so they so and then he's waiting. He's waiting all the time for his moment. When can I bring up all the snow again? So they're looking for, you know, to, something to boost the, 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 the company and get loads of sales and all the rest of it. So he comes up with Aldous Snow, who is, you know, on a bit of a, like he's had a good hiatus. He's off the, the, the wagon, so to speak. Drugs, drink, uh, drink rock, rock and roll, all that stuff is back to the fore with Aldous, uh, whereas he was sober mm-hmm. and forgetting Sarah Marshall. So he thinks, OK, we'll get Aldous Snow to the Greek and we'll, ra- we'll get all the money. But uh, when he arrives in London, to because his whole task is to get him there, to the Greek, uh, he kind of goes back a tiny bit to his fanboy ways and he kind of fawns a little bit over Aldous yes. Snow. But he realises his dream of getting to party out and rock yeah. on with Aldous. Live the rock star And live the rock star lifestyle. So yeah. that's my little spiritual that's sequel an interesting analogy. Story. And is, he, is, is the character the same? Is he called Matthew in both? He has changed his name to oh, okay. Aaron Green. Okay, Shut no, up that's fine. No, but, uh, no, but honestly, <laughs> I think that's what makes it a spiritual sequel yes. as opposed to an actual sequel. Yeah, well, you it, get it, that it sometimes is. Sometimes as well. And do you know another kind of comedy movie? Um, this is 40, Judd Apatow. Yeah. Yes. And that was Same a, writer and stuff, yeah. Yeah, that was a that was a sequel. Well, a kind of sequel knocked to up, Knocked Up. And yeah. I think, I'm pretty sure like it, it follows Paul Rudd's character mm. and, uh, and Leslie Mann's characters. And I'm pretty sure Jason uh, Siegel, who's in both of them, is playing a different character in This Is 40. But as you said look they, they probably the, the directors and in the case of get him to the greek and forgetting sarah marshall they probably looked at the chemistry those two characters mm. had yeah. and said yeah. they'll be great in a movie and russell uh, brand i thought was really good at playing that character i Snow, will so. laugh and laugh and laugh mm. at that film i just love it i just think it's brilliant i but, must give it a rewatch i've not seen it in and ages. sarah marshall pops up 
Oh, in a little it. nod oh, yeah. because ah. they're in the hospital maybe or something and um, or they're in some no no they're in the airport waiting to depart I think for their flight and Sarah Marshall pops up on a really really bad TV show that she's going to be oh, doing. Oh, of course, she was an actress. Yeah, so yeah. so that's the little nod and he and Russell Brand, Aldous Snow, kind of rolls his eyes or whatever, yeah, and it's like this little nod to it. But there you go. That's my little spiritual sequel. Where do we stand on Russell, uh, Russell, Brand? Russell Brand as an actor in films? Well, I've only kind of seen him play that Aldous sort of Aldous like Snow. Himself, yeah, yeah, very like himself. I was surprised with... Um, I actually felt like when he was portraying, especially in Getting to the Greek, I was surprised with how invested he actually got in his character and how much he cared for him yeah. at the end. I was mm. surprised by his range yeah. a little bit. I haven't seen him in anything since. I know he's in... Was it Archie? Oh no, uh, Alfie or not Alfie? I, um, Arthur. 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 Yeah, 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 where he's playing a kind of like a childish <laughs> yeah. character. I, I only saw a brief bit of that, so I haven't seen him in much since. No, so. no, but definitely, like there are some kind of heartfelt moments. I think with with Aldous. Like, mm. I mean, he, you know, when he finds out as well that Naples isn't his son and stuff like that mm. in it. Uh, uh, spoiler. In, sorry, spoiler. Spoiler. Listen, if you're listening to this podcast, <laughs> the bloody spoilers are here. Mm. Um, and also, uh, you know, again, kind of at the end, the bond between the two characters kind of thing as well is, is brilliant mm. and I think they both kind of you know help each other in a yeah. lot of ways because yeah. he ca- helps Aaron kind of loosen up a bit as well and kind of mm. yeah but the best, the best bit about that is when he's off his face the first time and P. Diddy is like a head <laughs> he's just yeah, like eating around. his own head Whee! Yeah. <laughs> so in and the, the, yeah. in the spe- like let's I think for my clip what I'll do is uh, just to kind of get the ball rolling on it uh, the clip that I'll pick um, is from Get Him to the Greek where he hooks up with Aldous for the first time and he kind of resorts to his fanboy ways again Aaron you're, you're asleep you're asleep you're asleep Aaron here's a drink oh my leg don't sleep so often cheers mate mm. <sighs> thank you for waking me up why do you think people keep saying my music shit? I didn't. I don't think that's the case. Is it? Is that the case? Yeah, a lot of negativity, a lot of sniping and snidey remarks. People going, "Oh yeah, he's shit. He's a has been. It's over. He's in his greatest hits era." Don't listen to that shit. I I I love all your albums. Do you love the album African Child? Yeah, of course. I love African Childs. It's awesome. Um, enemy said that African child was the most detrimental thing to happen to black culture since the Rodney King beatings. Are you serious? Yeah. I read him, Rolling Stone, that African child came third behind famine and war as the thing that had been most damaging to African life. I find that hard to believe, but they say any press is good press, right? Right. Come on, mate. You know, open up. It seems as if on your last album, you kind of went in the studio and just did whatever the producer asked you to do. Right. Yeah, no, that's exactly. This is, this is good. Aldous Snow needs to be two guitars, a bass, and a drum kit in his incredible voice. Vocals. And that's yes. it. And that's what yes. you want to hear. That's what I love. That's what all your fans love. Okay, so, Niall, you have really thrown it out. Because when I, when I saw your suggestion, I was going, oh my God, yes. Yes. Right. Oh, okay. Okay, I mean, um, I wasn't a little bit like you. I wasn't exactly sure what the definition mm. of a spiritual sequel or successor was. But I started thinking about it. And um, I started thinking about what I was talking about before, which is this idea of actor illusion or meta casting. They talk yeah. about it. So that means where when you put an actor in a part or you cast them in a part, you do it 
uh, in a way that will bring the weight of all the other parts that they played or the memory, if you like, of all the parts that they played um, with them. So, I mean, there are a couple of things that I toyed with uh, talking about. So, um, for example, we spoke about it in our last episode about romantic comedy, Say Anything. Yeah. And Gross Point Blank being a spiritual sequel to Say Anything, if you like. Okay. So you could see Lloyd Dobler from Say Anything (laughs) eventually, if he, you know, becoming Martin Q. Blank from Gross Point Blank. And I think especially with Gross Point Blank, which I think is a fantastic film, when you watch um, John Cusack in that, you're remembering these cheesy 80s romantic, or not necessarily romantic comments, but, but... you know, high you're remembering him a high school. Yeah. Yes, yeah, yes. Of a high school I can age. see that happening. Yeah. Plus, you know, he yeah. was a karate expert. It's not that he much was. of a leap. Yeah, yeah. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> um, also, um, Jack Lemmon and Walter Matthau, uh, who did Grumpy Old Men mm. and a couple of other movies uh, in their golden years, shall mm-hmm. we say. So you're casting them together, but you're remembering them as the odd couple from the classic yes. movie in the 60s, yes. you know. Um uh, Super 8 by J.J. Abrams who I I mean there's a fine line between doing a spiritual sequel and ripping off things yeah. okay so so what do you think um, I'm going to be generous with J.J. and say it's a spiritual sequel to E.T. See? or it's that you're in that Spielberg universe yes. when you watch Super 8 um, did Spielberg have no hand in that at all did he not produce I think he it produced something? it oh, okay. yeah, but I mean that's he knows. Like, we'll, we'll just so he wants to he'll, he'll produce it um the uh, Robin Hood Prince of Thieves movie with Kevin Costner, one yeah. of my uh, personal favourites. Love yeah. it. And uh, a couple of years after that, they came out with a Three Musketeers film yeah. with uh, Chris O'Donnell and Charlie Sheen and Kiefer, Kiefer Sutherland. Sutherland yeah. Yeah. And they even went to try and emulate the success of Brian Adams' song. They had Rod Stewart and Brian Adams, or maybe it wasn't, it was Rod Stewart and Brian Adams. <laughs> Brian Adams. Well, no, but they they did it. They did like, oh, this will get to number one, yeah. but it, it never did. I yeah, I was, wasn't a fan of the Three Musketeers. I it stands up. Kevin it's not a terrible ah, adaptation of the story. But I can know? see where you're going with the spiritual sequel. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. But the two that I would like to talk about, and I'm going to cheat and do two, and I'm not really talking about direct movies. I'm also talking about franchises. Mm-hmm. Are first of all uh, the Sean Connery James Bond movies. Okay. And The Rock from uh, 1996 I think so if anyone's unfamiliar with the the James Bond franchise <laughs> or <and> particularly <laughs> the best Bond yeah. it's about oh no, <laughs> well, look, no, no. there's a Bond movie no. about, so I'm sure we're going to have a Bond we're going to have a debate right. on this yeah. okay, yes okay. very much so in the, in the run up well, to I, the Bond I've showed my cards there with that <laughs> you <one>. sure have <laughs> but uh, back in 1963 um, an actor called Sean Connery uh, was cast as James Bond who was a MI6 agent uh, based on a series of books by Ian Fleming uh, 007 James Bond um, you know what do I need to tell you Doctor No 1962 Russia would Love 63, Goldfinger 64, Thunderball, You Only Live Twice, Honor Majesty's Secret Service did not star Sean Connery that starred George Lazenby because he had retired but then that was such a flop that they got him back again for Diamonds Are Forever. So he is maybe not in this room but acknowledged as the best James Bond. <laughs> did he do an unofficial Bond He did do though? Never Say Never Again in the 80s, but we're not yeah. going to talk about that because that's unofficial. Yeah, gotcha. Yeah. Um, and when Lazenby took over as 007, 
at the very start, just before the title sequence, which is very famous in James Bond movies, um, he uh, basically he tries to save a woman from a group of thugs and they end up kind of beating him up and they end up getting away with the, with the lady. And uh, George Lazenby uh, says directly to the camera, this never happened to the other fellow. Which is a sly nod to the fact that he's just he's been cast as yes. the new James Bond, but this has this started at the time a massive conspiracy theory that 007 was not in fact a person mm. but a code name that was given mm. to spies. So you would be given 007 James Bond as your code name after somebody had died or something like that. So that actually kind of makes sense as well because mm. in the new Bond movie I, I can't recall her name at the moment um, uh, an actress is given the moniker of 007 while, right. while Daniel yeah. Craig retires yeah. so it's, an, it's a really interesting theory it doesn't really make sense though because <laughs> I know, a lot of these though, yeah. Yeah. if you watch all the movies you can see that it's supposed to be the same character yes but if you take that as a theory that exists if you fast forward to 1996 and The Rock, directed by Michael Bay, starring uh, Nicolas Cage as a uh, FBI agent and a expert in chemical weapons called Stanley Goodspeed, he is brought in on a case when uh, Ed Harris, who is a general who is so upset with the way that veterans are being treated by the US government, he's decided to take hostages on Alcatraz, The Rock of the title. And he has a series of chemical weapons that if if his demands are not met, he's going to deploy over San Francisco. So, who do they call? Who are you going to call? Bond! <laughs> well, you're going to call John Patrick Mason, who is Dave a Bond. former MI6 agent, <laughs> who is the only person to have successfully escaped from Alcatraz the Rock, played by Sean Connery in this film. And that's basically it. I mean, like, he brings the weight of all mm. of his uh, Bond movies. He is Sean Connery. You know, we can debate from now till eternity whether or not he's a good actor. I think he is a good actor, given the right material. He's Sean Connery. You mm. you get Sean Connery, you get what you pay for. You <laughs> <know>? <laughs> um, uh, yes, so uh, there we go. I think The Rock, you could easily kind of go, yeah, well, 1962, after maybe... after. Dr. No, or after, you know, he retired as 007, yeah. he was, he was captured by, the idea is that he was a, he was a MI6 agent who was tasked with stealing J. Edgar Hoover's secret files, which had all this stuff about Area 52 and, you know, who killed Kennedy and all this. And he managed to steal it, but was caught and put in Alcatraz and then escaped and then was put back in I, prison. And then, you know, at the end of all of that, off he went uh, with Catherine Zeta-Jones yeah, and started rapping other stuff. <laughs> yeah. Entrapment. There, there you go. Yeah. There you, go yeah. you know, because like, well, I, he wasn't a, a, a secret agent in that, I don't think, but he was like no, a high... he was he, a thief. He was, yeah, you know, yeah. but he, he clearly he's got the skills. It's pronounced skills. He should have teamed up with another <laughs> a former Bond, uh, Pierce Brosnan from the Thomas Crown Affair. They could have been like, they could have been like Ocean's Eleven. Oh, <laughs> you 
see yeah. what we're doing here yeah. for you. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so what scene do you want to pick? Um, I from The Rock. There's a great scene where he finally comes face to face with. There's two great scenes actually, and you can decide which one. There's one where Nicolas Cage meets him for the first time, and that really has a throwback to the Bond movie because Nicolas Cage comes comes in, and Nicolas Cage is Nicolas Cage will either be I'm the hardest man in the room, I'm so hard, <laughs> or oh I'm such a doofus, look at me, oh my god. Um, and in The Rock he's playing, oh I'm such a doofus, look at me, uh, oh my god. And he comes in to interrogate. Uh, John Patrick Mason and he goes uh, uh, hi I'm uh, I'm Stanley Goodspeed and Sean Connery chained up with really long kind of grunge hair and a beard goes well of course you are and that is a direct throwback <laughs> to um, Diamonds Are Forever when oh he, yeah uh, where she goes yeah. she, she says my name's Pussy Galore <laughs> it's, it's actually Plenty of Two oh sorry <laughs> you know what your uh, mind named is. after your father perhaps <laughs> Um. <laughs> I'm an agent with the uh, uh, federal FBI. Uh, well, my, I'm Stanley Goodspeed. But of course you are. Well, at least he got his name right. Of course I am. And you have an emergency. That's right. And you need my help. Exactly right. No, no, I'm fine, thank you. Offer me coffee. Oh, yes. Well, that was, in fact, going to be my next... Go get a cup of coffee in here, please. Offer to take these off. Mr. Mason, really. Okay, inside. gesture of your good faith. Prisoner requests to have his handcuffs taken off. Why don't you go ahead and have his handcuffs taken off, please? One of my favourite kind of spiritual successors spiritual sequels is uh, Gat the Ringo slash Payback uh, so in 2012 Mel Gibson he started in Get the Gringo or as it was called this side of the Atlantic How I Spend My Summer Vacation and uh, it's a really really good accompaniment to 1999's noir crime thriller Payback so the character I think is basically the same they have the same personality they're both thieves uh, they the boat movies uh, feature kind of gravelly voiceovers from Mel Gibson. And um, weirdly enough, in How I Spent My Summer Vacation, Mel Gibson's character explains how he was once married, but his wife ran off with his former business associate. And in Payback, of course, that's exactly what happens. His wife and business partner double cross uh, Gibson to run away together. So I think that's a pretty good example there where it's pretty much the same character. You can see a continuation of the story. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Payback is a remake of Point Blank, which oh, okay. is a classic 60s movie with Lee Marvin, based on a series of books starring this thief called Parker. And um, that's what Payback was based on. Now, uh, uh, Get, Get the Gringo yeah, is a little how, looser, yeah, yeah. 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 But um, yeah, like it is this idea of this this hardened criminal kind of been wronged by his associates mm. you know in get the he's in a horrific mexican prison isn't that's he that's right yeah, yeah yeah and um you know how he manages to survive and get get out and and get revenge on the people who've wronged him mm. Mm. Uh, and, and another one we were talking about like kind of sequels as well and um i suppose this is more of a spin-off than it is really a spiritual successor or, or a sequel but the reason why i included is because it never really draws attention to the fact that it's connected. Uh, I'm talking, of course, about the, the connection between The Fugitive and US 
Marshalls. Yeah, that's the one now when I was Googling around yeah. as well. I was like, oh my God, yeah. Because a lot of people have seen both of them, but yeah. don't realise that it's, it's the, the same. same. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so Fugitive came out in 93, US Marshalls in 98. And um, yeah, it always surprises people that Tommy Lee Jones or Tommy Lee Jones's character in both movies is the same. It's mm. uh, uh, Deputy uh, Sam Inspector Gerard. Gerard yeah. yeah, that's it. And his team of U.S. Marshals is mostly the same. Mm. Um, you, know, you have Joe Pantoliano. There, oh, I said it right. Yeah. You got a thumbs up from that. Thumbs up. <laughs> uh, but of course, he's been in loads of stuff. You know, yeah, so yeah. he's where he's a well-known, well-known actor. Yeah, bad boys for life. Oh my god. Yeah. You also have Daniel Roebuck uh, and Tom Wood and stuff like that. Um, uh, this time, of course, they're not chasing Harrison Ford. Uh, they're chasing Wesley Snipes. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I included this because, as I said, even though it's technically a spin-off. Not much people realise that it's the same yeah. kind of character, yeah. and um, I, it doesn't really draw attention to it. So I think, in my head, it's a it's a kind of a spiritual successor. It's mm. a good one. So um, my next one is mm. again. I'm going to talk about a franchise and a spiritual successor to that franchise, which is not part of it. Now, um, I have a query. Okay, you start here, let's have the query. Is this not a parody of said franchise? Now, I was thinking that. Okay. No, it's not, because it's taken incredibly seriously. And I think we should let the people oh, who are listening know. Oh, God. <laughs> he thinks it's really... He thinks he doesn't think it's a parody. It's not a parody. No, it's not. Absolutely. So for people who don't know, okay, I am talking about the Star Trek franchise. And anyone who doesn't know the Star Trek franchise, it is an American media franchise based on the science fiction television series created by Gene Roddenberry. And it was first aired in 1966 and aired till 1969. Uh, and it followed Captain James T. Kirk, Mr. Spock, Scotty, Uhuru, Sulu on the Starship Enterprise. Um, and then basically nothing happened for 18 years uh, until the next generation came around, which people will be maybe familiar with. Uh, Patrick Stewart, John Luke Picard. Yeah. Um, and a series as well of motion pictures that happened in the 80s. And the movie Which made me a fan of those okay. and not any of the others. Mm. So when you say you're a fan, what are you, are you a fan of? I the, like the the new stuff, Chris the, Pine. Oh no, no, we I haven't even got to Chris Pine. Oh, okay, yet. well no, not not well, but not, not the no, 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 Chris Pine, Chris Pine, and when it's good and not boring. <laughs> anyway, other opinions are available, yeah. but the film that I would like to talk about, which is a spiritual successor to Star Trek and certainly the Star Trek movies is Galaxy Quest which came out in 1999 and it was directed by Dean Parasot and stars of course Tim Allen Sigourney Weaver Alan Rickman it's got a real a fantastic cast Tony Shalhoub people know from Monk Sam Rockwell I think it was the first film I saw Sam Rockwell yeah yeah. Yeah. and doesn't Um, it have um, what's the name of the guy from Dodgeball and Oh yeah, Justin oh, Long. Justin yeah. Long. Yeah, that was, it was actually his first uh, motion picture really? role. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So for people who don't know, it is loosely based on a Star Trek-like TV show. Pa- so you have all. It's, it's not a parody. a parody, right? It is. Uh, it you've got all of these actors who, eighteen years previously, had been in this very successful science fiction franchise, and uh, they are approached by a race of aliens to help defend them against their enemies, basically. So it's like, what if William Shatner and Leonard Nimoy and all these people were actually beamed up into space and had to be the characters that they played in the uh, in the TV show? So, uh, yeah, I mean, is it a parody? Is it not? It's not, because it's made with, I would say, ex- 
exactly the same amount of dedication and love that any of the Star Trek motion pictures were made and the TV shows. And in fact, it has been voted the seventh best Star Trek movie by fans <laughs> by, of Star Trek. By, by Niall. No, by, by, in a, in a, you know, by fans of, of Star Trek. So there we go. So it is what I would, not a parody, it's called an homage. Yeah, an homage. Okay. So, okay, so... <laughs> Just in terms of this theme then, spiritual sequels then, mm. Mm. there's lots of different kind of, there's no set criteria. No, well, I don't know. It's all quite flexible. Yeah. yeah. I think. yeah. So it's but, kind of, yeah, like, the, like, like with all the other sort of um, topics we've discussed, say, and genres and stuff like that, there are certain kind of, you know, uh, things that they follow. But with this, it, yeah. yeah, like this, is it a spin-off? Is it, you know, just the same actors plonked in another uh, film and kind of the same scenario? Yeah. Or like you're saying, is it a parody or a homage? Well, I think the reason why I'm, I put it in here is because, mm. um, like I say, it's beloved by fans of Star Trek. Yeah. Like they, uh, and if it was a parody, I don't think it would be. I oh, think okay. the fans would be going, oh, Stop you're taking, taking the fun. The, yeah, yeah. You're, yeah. You're, you're, you're making fun of something that I love. Yeah. But it's done, like I say, with such care. There's so many lovely little touches in it that just uh, make it a really good film on its own. Mm. But also, um, if if you know Star Trek, you will enjoy it more. Yeah, because I was going to ask, like, do you like if you were kind of <laughs> if you knew a little bit about Star Trek, like me? Would you still? Yeah, yeah. Well, you must have seen it. Yeah, I've you? seen bits of it again. Okay. It's like no, <laughs> I wasn't <laughs> really like fully on my radar. So, right. but I would rewatch. All right, kind well, of on you based, should, based on what you're saying. You but, know what the director of Galaxy Quest is doing next? No. Bill and Ted's next movie. Oh, okay. <laughs> oh, there you go. There yeah. we go. Okay, now we'll check that out. Yeah. So, like, you reckon then people who don't have a huge amount of knowledge about Star Trek will still get it? And I think it. it's a good movie. I think if mm. you know just that there was a TV show yeah. called Star Trek and, you know, it had these actors in it, mm. one of whom was a massive egomaniac, <laughs> <laughs> uh, one of whom was a frustrated uh, thespian who felt that he could do better, yes. uh, one of whom was a, an actress who was only given... All of her lines were basically to go, the computer says this, because it was made back in the day. Yes. Um, the cast do a terrific job. The whole idea of, do you know the idea of red shirts? No? Have you heard oh, of this? Oh, I do, yeah. yeah. Um, they always die. Red shirts they always, always die, die basically. Yeah. Okay. And that's a trope going back to Star Trek, uh, the original series. Basically, the the main characters would beam down to a planet with a, a guy in a red shirt. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. And the guy in the red shirt would always get killed. It's like the it's like the Star Trek version of saying showing in a war film showing a picture showing someone a picture of your girlfriend and saying <laughs> yes. I can't wait to get home to her. Oh, exactly. you're, you know, you're, yeah, dead. you're dead. You're, you're dead. dead. Yeah, yeah, I get you. And Sam Rockwell in this film is hilarious because Sam mm. Rockwell plays a guy who was in one episode of the TV show <laughs> yeah. Guy Flegelman and yet turns up at all these conventions because okay. you know that's where they where they make their money now and he when he's put in the real quote-unquote situation of going to an alien planet, he goes, oh my God, I'm, I died in the episode. I'm going to die. I'm the red, you know. <laughs> I'm the red, the red Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, and he's he's fantastic. And not to spoil it, but he's grand. He's well, fine. Uh, he's should, we, should we pick a scene from that, do you think? There are a couple of great scenes again from this. There's one great scene from the very start where you see them in a dressing room waiting to go on to a convention and Alan Rickman has a bit of a meltdown because he's going, my God, I played Richard III at the RSC. What am I doing here? <laughs> uh, 
Um, but there's also, and there's a story about um, Alan Rickman and Tim Allen working together. And Alan Rickman wasn't really a fan of Tim Allen's style, if you like. Okay. And Tim Allen had just come off uh, Home Improvement. I think he had done the voice of Buzz Lightyear. But, uh, you know, he, he, he the Santa Claus, I don't think, was out yet. But but he's kind of a jokey character yeah. on set. Mm-hmm. And Alan Rickman was a bit more... Serious, kind of. Kind yeah. Of. Um, but there's one scene where, because the whole idea is that these aliens take these actors up into space thinking that they are the actual characters that they play on TV. Mm-hmm. And there's a scene where Tim Allen is made by the big bad guy to tell the alien... We were just pretending. We're just acting. Okay. We, uh, we pretended. We lied. Oh. Yes. You understand that, don't you, Mathazar? Mathazar, I'm not a commander. I, uh, there's no National Space Exploration Administration. We, we don't have a, a ship. <laughs> there it is. That ship is that big. Inside, I've seen many rooms. You've seen plywood sets that look like the inside. It, our brilliant sphere is, is wire with plaster around it. And, and our, uh, <laughs> our digital conveyor is a uh, Christmas tree lights. It's a decoration. It's all fake. Just like me. I remember that yeah, and, and it absolutely broke my heart when I saw it. And Alan Rickman apparently as well that day went mm. oh this guy can act. Yeah. <laughs> hey, so Ross we're bouncing back to you I think. Yeah on to um, you might remember if you listen to this uh, podcast regularly uh, that we do an item occasionally on the show uh, a th- thousand and one movies I have to watch before we kill, we kill you. you. That's right before I die. Um <laughs> And uh, this week we are this this episode we're talking about spiritual sequels, and I suppose one of the most famous examples of a spiritual sequel is the connection between the conversation and enemy of the state. Now I had actually seen the conversation already. It was released in 1974. It stars Gene Hackman as Harry Call, and he's a surveillance expert who faces a dilemma when one of his recordings reveal a potential murder. Uh, it was directed by Francis Ford Coppola, and he was coming hot off the heels of The Godfather Part Two. So I feel like at the time this was probably a little bit overlooked. Uh, it actually does feature uh, some Godfather alumni. It has John Gazzali and Robert Duvall in there as well. And actually look out for uh, a young uh, Harrison Ford uh, in that oh, as well. Oh, that's right. Of course, yeah. we're, we're um, you know, we're what was it, three years out from uh, Star Wars A New Hope mm, being yeah. released as well. So it's a tense movie that looks at surveillance and and um you know you're just going to be so paranoid by the end of this movie you'll be checking your house for bugs um and you'll be thinking the world is out to get you and in a lot of ways 1998's enemy of the state starring again gene hackman mm-hmm. and will smith it's a spiritual successor to it um the film um enemy of the state tells a story of a group of nsa agents and they're trying to cover up the murder of a congressman uh so they're both basically about technology and paranoia and Gene Hackman's character, and he's called Brill in Enemy of the State. Um, you can see the similarities here. He's also a surveillance expert. Um, and actually, there's a there's a really interesting scene in, in Enemy of the State where they show an old file photo of yes. Gene Hackman. And, and it's, it's him, it's him from the conversation, conversation. Yeah. with his moustache and everything yeah. intact. 
Um, there's a, another couple of thing, things that are similar about them. They both kind of live in cages that block out signals. They're really paranoid of getting uh, traced. And eventually, I suppose, when they're ho- when when they think someone's onto them, mm. they destroy their homes. And that's the kind of ending scene in the conversation where he rips open his walls and everything. Oh, it's such a good scene yeah. in the end. It's really good, yeah. Uh, and, and in Enemy of the States, halfway through, where him and Will Smith mm. get out of Dodge and he blows up the building. Um, there are a few nods along the way as well. Uh, you can keep an eye out for that horrible translucent raincoat that um, Harry Call wears in the uh, the conversation that pops up somewhere in Enemy of the State, Enemy of the State as well. Um, things that are different. Admittedly, Hackman's character Harry Call uh, is a bit more timid in the conversation than. Uh, enemy of the state. Oh, he's, he's very, he's a bit gruff. Yeah, yeah, he's yeah, gruff. Yeah, he's, well, you see, you know, this is afterwards. That's so true. Yeah, yeah. Been around the block well, kind what of a bit. Saying thirty years. Yeah, yeah. It could yeah. be a couple of years of living mm. off the grid. It would probably make you a bit more short tempered. Yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, let's just play a quick scene here, uh, which features Will Smith and Gene Hackman. The National Security Agency conducts worldwide surveillance, fax, phones, satellite communication. The only ones in the country, including the military, could possibly have anything like this. Why are they after me? I don't know, and I don't want to know. Here they come. I thought these sat dishes would scramble their signal. Control, this is their what? Repeat coordinates. 105 Chambers Avenue. You're transmitting. They still have a signal on you. Your collar, your belt, your zipper. Get rid of your clothes, all of them. And then what am I supposed to do? Nothing. You live another day, I'll be very impressed. So, uh, Enemy of the State was the one I had to watch for today. What did I think of it? Um, As a spiritual sequel actually really enjoyed it uh, obviously the two films have really really different tones and that's down to the direction I would imagine from Coppola in the conversation and Tony Scott who directed Enemy of the State and obviously they've been shot years apart yeah. Yeah. years apart yeah, yeah probably exactly. has more in common with The Rock than <laughs> yeah because yeah. it's Bruckheimer and Simpson well Simpson would have been dead but Jerry Bruckheimer I think the producer that's right yeah yeah. And a lot of those films have the same like Crimson Tide kind and, of yeah. tone yeah yeah it was, it was the time yeah exactly yeah. right um, but the, the change in, in tone, I thought it was kind of welcome. Mm. Uh, like It's like how James Cameron changed the tone when he directed Aliens, which was a sequel to Ridley Scott's Alien. Ridley Scott, of course, is Tony Scott's brother. You know, it's an escalation of it. You've seen Jane Cameron, James Cameron do it again in uh, the first Terminator and the second Terminator. Mm. He couldn't change the tone in the movie, but it still worked. And I think um, in something like this, it worked. I probably couldn't have sat through the conversation. I enjoyed the conversation. I couldn't have sat through another movie like, like that. Like yes, yeah, straight yeah. away, yeah. yeah. And, and I mean, I remember seeing it when it came out in the cinema, which was, God, what how, what year was it? It was 98. Well, yeah, I saw it in the cinema as well. I wonder, what did you think about the whole idea of surveillance and yeah. state surveillance now when... You know, know. Yeah. it's it, like we're all aware of it, but we're kind of giving away all of it where we tell people yeah. we have a location thing on our phone. Yeah. Yeah. We have a microphone. We check in People places. are probably listening to us right now. <laughs> yeah. I hope. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's actually weird because uh, what, what was that? Um, three, four years before the Patriot Act, you know? Yeah. Mm. So it was very, you know, it's very scary stuff. It, it was a precursor to a lot of things that are actually happening in, in real life. Yeah, yeah. Um, which is kind of scary. The NSA are the bad guys in it after all. Yeah, yeah. I always remember there's a great um, little cast of nerds in it. 
Jack Black is one, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. 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 It's like the most ninety nine yeah. cast you'll ever Set, see. Is Seth Green one of them? I kind of feel like if he's not, yeah, he should, he should be. be yeah. yeah, it's a uh, Jason Lee. Uh, oh, is in it. Yeah, Jack yeah. Boozy, which is Gary Boozy's yeah. son. Barry Pepper, who just was in loads of movies oh, around yeah. that time. He's in Saving Private Ryan. Saving Private Ryan. He plays, sni- he plays a uh, sniper in Saving Private oh, okay. Ryan. He's in a load of movies around that he's time. He's that guy, Barry. is he? Yeah. 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 And Scott Cann as well. That's right. Um, is in it. Jamie Kennedy as well, who's the movie nerd in Scream, is in it. Oh yes. And um, you got Lisa Bonet, uh, who yeah, yeah. oh, I know. F- yeah, I, I don't. I know her from maybe this and High Fidelity, but I don't mm. think I know her beside it. It Did just she was married a, to Lenny Kravitz. Kravitz? Yeah. That's right. She yeah, was. Yeah. yeah. You say that with a tear. You don't look happy about it. <laughs> no, she was. Just she was. She's with your man now, Jason Momoa. Oh, that's oh, right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm very down with the side. Oh, she's culture. doing well, isn't she? Yeah. She is. In fairness, they're doing well. She's fairly hot herself now. Come on. That's very true. Yeah, yeah. That's <laughs> very true. But, uh, he he always seems to when he's on a. a talk show to be very loved up so yeah he is yeah yeah, mm. yeah. yeah so yeah, that's pretty much it look I thought oh, yeah, what, was your, what was your stars yeah star rating it's probably enemy of the state isn't probably not going to be considered a classic in the same way no. the conversation mm-hmm. now is it's definitely a lot more fun to watch it's kind of you know you, although there is a lot of things to think about in it you can also leave your he- brain at the door mm. so it kind of works on that level t- on that level too excuse me so I'm going to give it a Noel rating three, three, out of, three out of five stars for that one <laughs> yes and it is a little bit of an inverse thing this week because I think the conversation is one of the tested one films to see before you die yeah. yes. whereas Enemy of State is not <laughs> but you'd seen it already I've seen yeah. it so yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so are we going to ruin a scene let's do it okay uh, so we're thinking to bring it up to kind of I suppose present day and uh, the movie that is on everybody's lips at the moment is The Joker. I'm not familiar with it. <laughs> um, but this, you know, this would go into the homage category, I think, as opposed to spiritual. If we sequel. were being kind, we would say homage. If we're not, we would say ripping off. Yeah. Wow, if we're going there? in between, we'll say spiritual sequel. Okay. <laughs> yeah, Let's go. go spiritual sequel. Of course, yeah. what we mean by that is that it borrows heavily from King of the Comedy. Scorsese movies, King of Comedy, Taxi Driver. Yeah. You might need to. So what we're doing here is we are going to take a scene from the Joker. Uh, for people that haven't seen it, it's it's less of a DC Universe kind of one. It's a lot more serious. It's very much a character study of the Joker played by Joaquin Phoenix and how he becomes, I suppose, the Joker. This is a scene where uh, the, the the talk show host played by um, Robert De Niro, Murray, uh, what's his first name? Is it just Murray he calls him? Uh, Murray, Franklin. Murray Franklin. Murray Franklin, yeah. So Murray Franklin, he has already um, sort of made fun of the Joker um, on uh, because a, a YouTube clip of him trying to do stand-up comedy goes viral for it being really, really bad. So he decides to, he, he makes, pokes fun of him uh, on his show and then ends up inviting him on the, the next week's show or whatever. So this is the two guys uh, meeting for the first time in the dressing room. Can I, I just we- say before that as well, the reason why I suppose it's a spiritual sequel, we did say the theme and the tone and the style is all quite similar to Scorsese's earlier movies. But in some ways, you could see this as being a continuation of Rupert uh, Pupkin, yeah. which is Robert De Niro's character in The King of Comedy. Of course, in that movie, he, he kidnaps uh, Jerry Lewis, who's playing um, Jerry, I can't remember his name in the movie. Uh, Langford, Jerry, I think. Jerry Langford, that's a, He kidnaps Jerry Langford, who's a talk show host, because he wants to be uh, a talk show host. Mm. So he could 
maybe see this as a reflection of that. Um, this could be a continuation of Rupert uh, Pupkin's uh, story, uh, of course, and this one he's called Murray Franklin. In some ways, what he did is kind of coming back, back to haunt him. him. Yeah, mm. absolutely. And clearly he's gotten a personality change. He's become normal. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so here is the scene where the Joker meets um, Murray Franklin for the very first time in the actual film. Murray. Hey, hey, hey. hey. Mr. Franklin. Buddy. Oh, come on. Oh, gee. That's all bullshit. Thank you, Murray. I feel like I know you. I've been watching you forever. Thank you. What's with the face? I mean, are you part of the protest? No. No, I don't believe in any of that. I don't believe in anything. I just thought I'd be good for my act. For your act? Didn't you hear what happened on the subway? Some clown got killed. He's aware of that. He's aware of that, yeah. No, I hadn't heard. Yeah. You see, this is what I'm telling you. The audience is going to go crazy if you put this guy on. Maybe maybe for a bit, but not a whole segment. Gee, it's going to work. It's going to work. We're going to go with it. <laughs> Thank you, Murray. A couple of rules, though. No cursing, no off-color material. We do a clean show, okay? Mm-hmm. You go on right after Dr. Sally. I love Dr. Sally. Good, good, good. Well, someone will come and get you, okay? Perfect. Good luck. Thanks, Murray. Good. Uh, Murray, one small thing. Yeah. When you bring me out, can you introduce me as Joker? What's wrong with your real name? That's what you called me on the show. A joker. Do you remember? Did I? I don't know. Well, if you say so, kid, you know, joker it is. It's good. Thanks, Murray. And action. Murray? It's Mr. Franklin, buddy. Oh, shut up, Gene. Who gives a shit? Thanks, Murray. I feel like I know you. I've been watching you forever. My mother never missed a show. So... What's with the face? Are you part of the protests? No, uh, I don't believe in any of that. I don't believe in anything. I just thought it would be good for my act. Your act? Did you hear what happened on the subway? Some clown got killed. No, I hadn't heard. The audience is going to go crazy. If you if you put him on, it, it was okay maybe for a bit, but not a whole segment. No, I think it works. We're going to go with it. Thank you, Murray. Couple of rules, though. No cursing, no off-colour material. We do a clean show here, okay? You'll be on after Dr. Sally. Someone will come and get you. Good? Uh, hey, uh, Murray, uh, one small thing. When you bring me out, can you introduce me as Joker? What? You, you don't want to use your real name? Honestly, I, I don't even know what my real name is. Besides, that's what you called me on the show, Murray. A joker, remember? Did I? I have no idea. Well, if you say so, kid, joker it is. And scene. I don't know why I'm like from the mouth. <laughs> hey, <also>. forget about <laughs> it. Forget about it. <laughs> so that's it for another episode. Stay classy, film fans. <laughs>